you know, we've had quite a few friends who have said, oh my God, you guys are having a baby. Can we get dinner and, and hear what we're supposed to do? Like, where do we start? Like, what do you wish you knew? What was the biggest challenge? In this series, we answer those questions and more. Welcome back to It Takes a Village, Our Path to Leo. My name is Alex Lee Ammons. Today's episode is the logistics episode. What are the steps for two dudes having a baby? Or really, anybody who's interested in this conversation of fertility and family planning and what are the first steps in the conversation? So we found this great fertility clinic called Conceptions that's um, Colorado based and they, you know, work with couples all over the world. And so we had just done some research and we were like, oh, wow, that's, there's somebody right here in our backyard. Um, And so we had our first appointment with Dr. Green, I want to say like beginning of 2016. And, and really the first conversation is sitting down with a fertility doctor and, and just getting to know each other and, and, and setting expectations. And that first conversation really like was like the lay of the land conversation um, that I think everybody should do if they're considering having a family, because it really gives you like the full outline, um, of what's entailed. I spoke with Brian and Ty's doctor, Dr. Green about the process. And when I asked him the same question that Brian asked at the top of the episode, can we get dinner? And can you tell us how we have a baby? This is what Dr. Green said. Well, I, I, I'd start by asking him how many courses the meal was, because it's not typically a short process. And, and so it is something that would require a longer conversation. Dr. Green is a fertility specialist at Conceptions Reproductive Associates of Colorado. You know, I think it's always a little bit ironic that in reproductive medicine, the term family planning is a euphemism for contraception. But in our field, what we do is we literally plan families. So whenever I first sit down and meet anyone, whether it's a person, a couple, heterosexual, same-sex couple, I always ask them to give me an idea of what their future family looks like. Because when I'm trying to come up with a plan, I want to try to include a plan that's going to include the last pregnancy as well as the first one. Because... When we're planning these things at the earliest phases, that's when we have the greatest impact on the potential outcome. So, you know, a lot of times it's kind of interesting when when someone approaches me, they're only thinking about the first pregnancy. And I'm like, well, if you want to have a sibling, you need to think about that now, because especially in a situation where if you're using an egg donor, or a sperm donor or a gestational carrier, you need to think about that second pregnancy or that third pregnancy at the same time you're planning the first. So according to Dr. Green, this is step one. Sit down and plan what you want your family to look like when it's complete. I asked Dr. Green to share some questions that folks might consider when they're having these conversations. If you are beginning the family planning process for yourself, this is the part where it might be helpful to get out a pen. Well, I, I truly ask them to be as specific as they possibly can be. 
Uh, do they want to have one child? Do they want to have three children? Uh, do they care what the sex of each child is? Because we have ways of determining the sex of an embryo before that embryo is transferred. Uh, who wants to carry the pregnancy? Who wants to be the person that conceives the pregnancy? For instance, you know, when we're dealing with a same-sex female couple, sometimes one person wants to serve as the source of the egg or what I like to call the genetic parent. And the other partner might want to carry the pregnancy and serve as what I like to call the gestational parent, you know, whereas when I'm dealing with, you know, um, you know, same sex male couples, sometimes people want to have one baby from each partner or sometimes one partner doesn't really want to have, uh, you know, a child of their own genetic uh, uh, you know, family history. So, you know, it's really trying to create as complete a vision as possible in order to really start building the plan as to what, you know, they want their, their family to look like. Once you've created the vision of what you want your family to look like, the next step is to find and build your team, starting with the fertility clinic and a fertility specialist. I think at the end of the day, one of the most important things is, is this reproductive endocrinologist is going to be sort of your guide. And so it's really important to develop a good relationship. And I think that that meeting, that first meeting, um, we felt really comfortable and we felt like he answered our questions. Ty is, of course, talking about Dr. Green. They had their first meeting with Dr. Green, but they do suggest shopping around for a few reasons. If you're considering doing this, you should try to make sure that you have that sort of relationship and that you don't just go with whatever doctor you have to happen to meet first. If they're not a good fit for you, find another one and go to two or three different clinics and, and shop around until you find someone that you really connect with. Because uh, as you'll hear, this ended up being a, a four or five year long process for us. And we've had multiple meetings and gone through uh, lots of ups and downs. And, and he's been with us kind of throughout that whole process. We just felt so strongly um, in the connection we made with Dr. Green. Uh, he's very mindful He's definitely the type of human who takes two deep full breaths before he says something that he needs to say that might be hard for you to hear. Um, and he just has like a very, um, just the right energy about him. And, and so for us, you know, that was, an, that was an immediate connection. And we were like, oh, you're a, you're a mindfulness-based human and that, um, you know, we're, we're going to get along with you. Um, but we have a lot of friends that have gone through this process that have not had great connections with their uh, reproductive endocrinologist and have you know, had news broken to them in really inappropriate ways and had, um, you know, kind of gone down the wrong pathway because they didn't feel comfortable asking the right questions. Um, and so uh, I think it's worth if you at any point in this process, if you feel like something doesn't feel right, you know, stop and take a deep breath and, and say, well, maybe I need to reevaluate this, whatever it is your choice in your endocrinologist, your choice in your surrogate, your choice in your egg donor, um, because there's a lot of choices. And um, not all of them are gonna feel perfect, um, but if they don't, then take a step back and, and spend some time with it to make sure, because this is, this is your journey. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of pieces to this story that can be potentially emotionally difficult. And you don't need one of them to be 
your providers are uncomfortable with the fact that you're a gay couple, or this is the first time they've worked with a gay couple, or they don't really like gay people, or, you know, like those are things that I think are, are really, really important to, to building a gay family is, you know, I, I don't want to explain to the providers over and over every time I go to the visit and um, explain that there's no mother here you know, or if they say, go get your wife. Like, I think it's important that they, they, they pay attention that this might be outside of their norm, or maybe for this clinic, it's not outside of their norm. Right. Isn't that even, isn't, you know, that even, um, better. Um, and that, you know, we found immediately, um, you know, at conceptions and with Dr. Green, they, this was not new to them. They were not, it was not strange to them. They didn't at any point make us feel, um, you know, uncomfortable. And while this might seem obvious, I really feel that it bears repeating. Your providers need to be on your team. You need to feel comfortable with the people who are helping you make this happen. And if something doesn't feel right, it might not be right. And you'll hear as Brian and Ty share more and more of their story, some of these spots where things can go wrong and how important it is for your providers to have your back. And you also want your fertility clinic and specialist to be somewhat successful because so many of these processes can have outcomes that you were not planning on. So I asked Dr. Green a little more about the process of choosing a fertility clinic, especially as it relates to the success rates of actual births. Well, you're, you're, you're asking the right person because I've been doing this about 27 years now and I've been through the process with my own wife as well. And, and uh, you know, I, I could tell you in the early days of my career, which is 1995, IVF success rates were around 18 to 20% each time we would do an embryo transfer. So you were almost planning the next cycle at the same time you were doing the one you were doing. And you were kind of expecting that. Uh, today, you know, success rates vary from one center to another and national averages are, are in the 40% range, depending on the, the person's age range. Our success rates at our center have been, you know, between 70 and 80% each time we do an embryo transfer. Uh, and we typically only put in one embryo at a time to keep the risk of multiple pregnancies very low. So today, you know, I, I tell people all the time, it's it's humbling when we're not successful because we used to get so overjoyed every time we were we had a positive. Now we kind of expect it to be positive and we just de deal with tremendous sorrow on the rare instances we're not. But the advantages are the way we do things today, the science has advanced so much where we typically have a lot more insight as to why it might not have worked, which can give us a lot more data to try to improve the success rates if we need to do a second transfer. Is the success rate a direct reflection of the quality of the clinic and why, if so? Well, for lack of a better analogy, Alex, I tell people that a fertility center in many ways is like a five-star restaurant, okay? You know, when you go to a very nice restaurant, what usually drives you there is the reputation. And you arrive and you kind of meet the maitre d' and you interact with the waiter and you kind of judge your whole experience based on what you see before you. And that's all critical 
But the main reason that you're actually at that restaurant is really because of the chef and what's going on in the kitchen. You know, having babies is something we take for granted when couples are doing it at home, you know, alone, naturally through having sex. And it doesn't upset them if it doesn't work the first month or the second month or the third month, because they just keep trying until they're successful. But if you look at the success rates, for instance, for a very fertile 25-year-old woman trying to get pregnant over one month, the natural one-month pregnancy rate at age 25 is very easy to remember because it's 25%. So 25% at age 25, okay? Now, that's just the chance of getting pregnant, and then there's still about an 8 to 10% risk of miscarriage. And the problem is, is when you're involved in contracts and you're having to involve other people, to try three or four or five times becomes very, very expensive. And that's just to have a first child. If someone wanted to have a second or a third child, then they're having to do the same thing years later when the person is less fertile than they were in their, in their mid-20s. And so this is why for the vast majority of couples today that are in a same-sex relationship, or for those that are single, are to go right to more advanced reproductive techniques, or the acronym is ART. In talking with Brian and Ty, it is like acronym after acronym after acronym. So I want to give people an idea of what these acronyms actually are um, and how they function. You know, in most people's mind, the most obvious solution is some simply doing an insemination, okay, where you take one person's sperm and you place it inside the uterus of a woman that would be serving as a gestational carrier and doing an IUI. Intrauterine insemination, IUI. And this is what used to be done. These were the first treatments available. Um, but the problem with that today is, is a couple of different things. Number one, if you're doing that, then the same woman who is getting pregnant, it's also her genetic egg. And that can create many legal complications uh, if that woman decides later on that she's changed her mind. A quick side note here is that we will get into some of the legal issues and complications that can come up during these processes. Okay, back to Dr. Green. The, the success rates with advanced reproductive techniques, which includes most notably in vitro fertilization, IVF, another one of our popular acronyms, is where we literally take the eggs from a woman that's an egg donor, and often that's an anonymous egg donor, but again, it doesn't have to be. Like I've worked with same-sex couples where two men, for instance, they only wanted to have one child, and one partner had a sister, so they used that partner's sister and the, and the other male partner's sperm, and they created embryos. And that way it was from both genetic families and they were, they were able to have one child that was from both of their genetic families. And then, you know, you have to have a third party, what's called a gestational carrier to actually carry the pregnancy. And a gestational carrier or a GC is the woman that is you know, professionally contracted to agree to carry the pregnancy to delivery and then give up the baby to the 
genetic parents for them to raise the child. So it does get very confusing and it could sometimes involve three or four or even five different people in creating these plans. If we are as productive as we usually are, we're often able to create multiple embryos that we can freeze. And once we freeze embryos, those embryos can be good for 10 to 15 years. So if we create three or four or five embryos, we use one embryo now in what we call an FET, another one of our acronyms, which is a frozen embryo transfer, leave the other embryos in the freezer. That way, when the couple wants to have a sibling for their first child, they don't have to start over at the beginning. They don't have to worry about finding the egg donor and seeing if she's willing to donate again. They just call us up and we you know, try to find uh, either the same gestational carrier if she's available or a different one. And it's a much shorter process to have a second or a third child. Even before going to a clinic and having a consultation, like, what do you wish people knew? You know, I've watched how things have evolved. And I think focusing on live birth rates is one of the most important things that people should know. And there's several different databases that are out there that you can look at and see what centers live birth rates are. Some people are attracted to marketing where like a center claims that they've got the lowest cost, you know, but if you look at the success rate, if you got to go there and try three or four tries, it's not really so low cost. I asked Dr. Green if he had any final words as we wrapped up our conversation. I form a very special bond with each patient or each patient couple whenever it's not a single person. and. You know, I think that success rates have to be one of the things that, that drives the whole process, but that can't be the only aspect of it. If there isn't, if it doesn't feel like there's a connection, if people don't feel like their needs are being met, that their voices are being heard as being unique and cherished, then in my opinion, they might be better served by someone that still has that love of what they do and, and that drive to really you know, achieve that ideal outcome. And, you know, we're always working to improve things, but it's a matter of starting out with high aspirations and then only trying to build on that instead of starting out with high aspirations and figuring out what you're going to have to settle for. I know that was a lot of information and hopefully you're walking away from these 20 minutes with some really good nuggets and questions and conversation starters. In the next episode of It Takes a Village, we'll hear again from Brian and Ty about their donor process, choosing their own gestational carrier, and all that unfolded. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.